I'm your host, William Tapley, also known as the Third Eagle of the Apocalypse. Stop, 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 stop. You cannot make it look like William Tapley is supporting our program. Sorry, folks. Chris Roseborough here, just to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, and financial contributions in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. And no, William Tapley is not our spokesperson. Uh, if you don't already support us financially, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. And when you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute. $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And, of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, on to the program. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Wednesday, July 13th, 2011. All right, I think I'm going to get to the stuff I didn't get to yesterday. I'm, I'm going to make a, a good, concerted, purpose-driven effort. Yeah, yeah I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps and, and, and live my purpose. And, All right, I'm in a weird mood. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Sadly, there is no shortage of crazy things being said out there. Well, we play them for you, and then we do the comparative work. And uh, you'll find out that this is a politically incorrect uh, program. We step on toes. Uh, we name names. We let you hear the heresy. We let you hear the the false teaching from the person teaching it. And uh, we don't. Uh, I don't really particularly care if it's a the most uh, famous uh, Christian author on living on the planet or uh, the most uh, adored uh, pastor in a particular group or denomination. Doesn't matter. If they're saying stuff that's contrary to what God's Word says, well, we got a problem. So uh, we, we do that comparative work. We try to have a little bit of fun along the way. And, uh, and so you, you, you got what's going on here. Yeah, so yesterday, I mean, I I spent all the time on the emergent church and didn't get to the other stuff I wanted to get to. So, um, <laughs> oh man, it's one of those times where you know I, I I can feel vacation coming, and and so it's not that I'm counting the days down; it's that I'm trying to figure out how to get everything done before I leave. So you know, it's it's one of those things. Anyway. All right, so uh, let's talk about what we're going to talk about on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. So, um, well, let's see. I've got a Patricia King update. I definitely want to do that. Um, I've got a news story about a brand new Bible. It's it's called the Common English Bible. And, um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah, I first heard about it on the... Um, 
on the uh, USA Today Faith and Reason blog, and uh, they wrote about it using the headline, New Bible Gives Jesus a Human Touch. And I thought, hmm, New Bible Gives Jesus a Human Touch. Correct me if I'm wrong, but, uh, you know, I, I've been reading the Bible for, well, decades now, and, you know, I, I read it in the original languages, and uh and uh, I, I, I was always pretty much convinced that the scriptures, uh, in both English and in uh, in Greek, in both English and in Hebrew, uh, you know, at least in the New Testament text, we're talking about the uh, the Greek text, uh, does a fine job of teaching the uh, the doctrine of the two natures of Christ, the the communication of the attributes. The 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 idea here is that Jesus is the God Man, and so uh, when I read the Gospels, I I read that Jesus touched you know uh, outcasts, that Jesus healed people, that he. Uh, that he had, that he ate. You know, I always thought that, hmm, I understood that Jesus as the God-man had both a, a, a divine and human nature, and I understand uh, the communication of the attributes uh, between the two natures, and not that there's two Jesuses, but one, or two Christ, but one Christ. Uh, if for further detail, if you would like it succinctly said, I would recommend uh, reviewing the tail end of the Athanasian Creed. Uh, so I, I didn't realize that um, that, you know, the marketplace was... Well, um, lacking, um, in need of a, a Bible that would give Jesus a, quote, human touch. Seems kind of odd. And so we're going to take a look at that. Um, I, I definitely want to get to this, uh, this piece written by uh, Phil Johnson the other day on, uh, on how, uh, you know, you know, skepticism, you know, masquerading as Christianity almost, uh, ship, you know, completely destroyed his soul. I want to, Talk about that because it's, you know I think it's a good follow-on for yesterday. Um, I've got uh, the um, the piece from uh, the uh, White Horse Inn blog on how can Jesus be the only way uh, with uh, with responses from a, a Lutheran pastor as well as a, a Reformed pastor. And uh, I thought this is part of their basic apologetics uh, postings that they've been doing recently, and they're just fantastic. Um, so I, I want to get to that and then our sermon review today. I think we're going down to Alabama uh, to uh, Cross Point Community Church to uh, to hear a sermon on the movie True Grit. Yeah, that's right. I know you all have been dying to hear a, a sermon on the movie True Grit. I mean, I, I'm sure if you're a fan of westerns and uh, and you've seen the movie True Grit, then uh, then you were just dying for some you know secretive and pastor out there to turn this into some kind of a religious message to you know to ruin the whole entertainment value of it and uh <laughs> club you to death with uh, some kind of religious principle that you're supposed to apply so um so we're going to go, like I said we're going to go down south uh I think we're going to Alabama and uh, we're going to be at uh, Cross Point Community Church and um listening to well, well uh one of their f- uh, female um, pastrixes give the movie sermon entitled uh, True Grit. So, uh, you know, this wants to do today. And, uh, you know, you want you need to make yourself comfortable. I guarantee you um, there's going to be things that are that are said that you're just going to go, whoa, whoa, what? Yes, the, the, the creepy factor will come into play today. I, I'm sure that uh, you'll enjoy it. So uh, with that, let's dive into the program proper. Again, a fuzzy bunny slippers, a great way to enhance your listener experience. If you want to enjoy an adult beverage, don't have a problem. Keep in mind, the Bible does prohibit drunkenness. You don't want to take a good gift that God has given us and become enslaved to it. That's kind of silly. Anyway, so let's... Uh 
dive into the... So, um, have you ever wondered what heaven sounds like? Well, wonder no more. That's right. Patricia King of uh, Extreme Prophetic has a brand new video just posted hours ago entitled The Sound of uh, Heaven. Now, keep in mind, Patricia King, uh, we've documented the fact that uh, while she's claimed in public that she's been to heaven and uh, on multiple occasions. In fact, uh, one time while she was in heaven, God invited her into his wine cellar. God apparently has a wine cellar, and I'm sure that it's stocked with only the finest vintages. Um but um, yeah, again, this is not a slap against God. Um, I, I, I'm absolutely, absolutely sure that you know because of Jesus's good taste in wine, as we learn in the Gospel of John, uh, that uh, you know I'm sure that God does have fine, fine taste in wine. Well, and Patricia King, of course, has been to God's wine cellar, and of course, while she was there, she was invited to partake of God's uh, you know, supreme vintages. And, of course, well, she had too much to drink while she was in heaven. Have you heard this in previous editions of Fighting for the Faith? You might want to look it up in our archives. Anyway, so um, so here's Patricia King talking about the sound of heaven. And, of course, she should know. She's been there multiple times. So here's Patricia King. Have you ever wondered what heaven sounds like? I'm sh- no, i am I got to admit, I've... Um, uh, Patricia, I, I, the thought really hasn't even crossed my mind until I watched this video. I'm sure that if we had our ears open fully to all the activities of heaven, we would, we would hear like the angels singing around the throne and the great cloud of witnesses. Proclaim- so if we're really, really quiet, then we can hear angels singing. You know, I've been in very quiet rooms and never have I heard angels singing. Now, that does not mean that angels don't sing. I mean, if you've read the book of Revelation, it's clear that they do sing. And uh, But that being the case, um, despite how quiet it gets in my home from time to time, I've never actually heard the angels sing. Claiming the greatness of Jesus and the elders and, you know, I don't know what else. I mean, I know that there's um, a... a stream of living water. There's a river of life. There's, there's, you know, and I know that that has sounds. I mean, it was, it was just quite, quite the thing when I was asked by our team to do a message on the sounds of heaven. Yeah, I, I'm sure because of course you've told them all that you've been to heaven several times. So if anybody should, you know, could, could is an expert on the acoustical qualities of uh, of the heavenly kingdom, it would be you, Patricia. And I thought, wow. That is really cool when you just think about it. Just have fun thinking about it. You know, the sounds of heaven. I wonder what that would be like. But I just want to draw your attention to a couple of things here. And one of them is out of Acts uh, chapter 2. And it said, suddenly there came from heaven a noise, like a violent rushing wind. And you know, there's sometimes like awesome sounds on the earth. I've never been in a tornado, but I've heard that those who have been in tornadoes, they say it's it sounds like a, a, a big train coming along the tracks, like this huge, big, all-encompassing sound. And the closer it gets, the more it fills the atmosphere around you. And, and, um, and I thought, wow, well, I wonder if in heaven, I mean, I, I know it wouldn't be a dark torn- tornado or anything like that, but is there in, that intensity of sound? But kind of weird that you're talking that way, Patricia. Again, uh, you've you've told everybody in public and on video, you've been to heaven and you've 
uh, been to the wine cellar of um, of God. Um, it, it's kind of odd. I, I'm not hearing you uh, at this particular moment going, oh, yeah, you know, when I was there last, uh, you know, I, I, I took note of these particular acoustical qualities. Weird, huh? I find that in the Bible, with sounds out of heaven come messages and come happenings, come breakthroughs. And in this one, it said that suddenly this sound, this noise, like a violent rushing wind came, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as a fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. And so this sound, this noise from heaven came, and then there was a happening. Yeah, um, I think the instrumental cause wasn't the sound. I think the instrumental cause in play in Acts chapter 2 would be God, the Holy Spirit, third person of the Holy Trinity. I, you know, I may be wrong here, but I, I think it wasn't the sound causing the things. I think it was the Holy Spirit. You, you get what I'm saying? I think oftentimes things in the earth happen after a sound from heaven. Things happen in your life sometimes when a sound from heaven comes. Have you ever had, like, just the voice of the Lord, which is definitely a sound from heaven, come to you, you know, and you hear? No, no, I haven't. Hear his voice. He, he, nope, haven't heard it. He speaks maybe a directional word to your heart and your nope. devotion time or something like that. Nope, not, no, I, no. It might not be an audible noise. It might not be an audible sound. Well, if it's not audible, how can it be a sound from heaven? You know, again, you're quoting Acts chapter 2 there. And uh, Acts chapter 2 kind of makes it clear that there was an audible sound coming from heaven. But it's something to your heart. And then all of a sudden it shifts your life. I was thinking, wow, God, open up the portals and let me hear those sounds from heaven. In fact, I really... I think if there was a sound from heaven that uh, was uh, directed at you, Patricia, I I think it would go something like this. Repent. Just just hazarding a guess here. I believe that if you're watching and you're a musician here, you're going to hear sounds that have never even been heard in the earth before. I remember when I was a brand new Christian, I was at a conference and... We were in our bedroom after the conference was over that night, and I was reading my Bible, and all of a sudden I heard audibly these sounds of heaven. And it was like angels singing, but it wasn't like voices. It was almost like instruments, but they were singing. How do you know that the person next door to you in the hotel room wasn't listening to classical music or I just had the television too loud? It was, I don't know even how to explain it. It was a heavenly sound. It also seemed like I had earphones on, and... And it was like I couldn't hear anything, but it filled filled my head. I could only hear these sounds from heaven. Were you? Did you check your blood sugars to make sure that you um, weren't experiencing low blood sugar? Uh, did you take a Pepsi because it, it could have been at, you know acid reflux? I mean, hmm. And it just it just touched me for 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 days after. I kept remembering the essence of that sound. It cre- kind of weird that she's telling this story yet she's in and in, in, on in public in the public record she's personally claimed to have actually been to heaven weird that you know here's the 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 name of this video is the sound of heaven and patricia king who's who claims that she's actually been to the wine cellar of god is not able from her own personal experience to say oh yeah well the last time i went to heaven this is what happened weird isn't it just kind of weird it had faith on the inside of me 
but it was sounds that I'd never heard in the earth before. It was like instruments that I'd never really heard in the earth before. There's things in heaven that haven't been downloaded here yet, but they're about to be. And so if you're, if you're a musician, I feel that sounds are going to come to you that you're going to be able to create even in the earth and, and deep prophecy. If you're a musician, yeah, you might want to just cling on to that one, yeah. Music patterns and chords and runs and things like that that maybe have never even been dreamt of yet can come out of the heavens. I think this is so cool. And then another portion of scripture that I think we have time to look at today is out of Revelation chapter 4. And it was where um, John uh, beheld and a door was standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I heard like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, come up here and I'll show you what must take place after these things. And so this heavenly encounter happened. The heavens opened and this voice spoke to him, but it was like the sound of a trumpet. But it was a voice that actually spoke into his heart. It spoke things to him and invited him up to experience more. And then, of course, after the voice came the happening. I prophesy over you. Oh, oh no. <laughs> Here comes the prophecy. Uh, you might want to get your uh, Patricia King prophecy deflector shields. Uh, set them to stun. Yeah, and if you, you, tinfoil pyramid hat if you don't have anything else handy, and a Q-tip bendy straws and duct tape. That'll definitely help repel whatever this is that we are about to hear here. Hang on. That you will hear the voice and the sounds of heaven that will open up to you. And following, there will be happenings that will position you for greater glory. <clears throat> yeah, all about me. Uh, that's interesting. Uh, weird, Patricia. Again, it's just odd. Um, as somebody who's you know watched your videos now for four years, um, I'm a little shocked. I I'm a little disappointed. I mean... You know, don't you remember the sermon we reviewed of yours uh, where you claim that you had you traveled to heaven and were in the uh, in the, the wine cellar of God? And don't you remember your famous quote, glug, 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 glug? Yeah, if, you, if you've never heard this, uh, go into the uh, archives of Fighting for the Faith at FightingForTheFaith.com and, you know, type in Patricia King in our search box. And uh, and I actually did a uh, Patricia King sermon review and i did it you know i don't know months ago now it's been less than a year but uh you should be able to find it and uh well uh patricia again weird i it's kind of odd you know here here your staff comes to you and they say okay can you can you do a series or do a video on the sounds of heaven and obviously i think the thing that was probably on their minds is well you've been there you could tell us what you heard and uh and she didn't do that. She kind of did something else. But she prophesied at the end that you're going to hear something from heaven and then there's going to be a happening. Yeah. I don't know what a happening is. But so if you hear something from heaven, then expect that there's going to be a happening. Isn't that a name of an M. Night Shyamalan uh, movie, The Happening? Anyway, or it, Happening Days. Maybe it was a comedy in the 70s. I don't know. Anyway, so... So, uh, so you hear the sound from heaven, there's going to be a happening, and for your greater glory, your greater glory, hmm, it seems a little odd that God the Holy Spirit would cause a sound from heaven that would result in my greater glory. Is, is, isn't it all about glorifying God? 
magnifying Christ? It doesn't Jesus say that he's going to send the Holy Spirit so the Holy Spirit will convict us of sin and unbelief? It's, it's like the job of the Holy Spirit in all of the New Testament is to point everybody to Jesus. And uh, did you hear anything about Jesus in this? No, I didn't hear anything, not even a peep about Jesus. Hmm. Weird. Again, this is one of those weird, weird things. I, I'm not sure what to make of it. Um, you know, while we're on the topic of weird things overheard, um, a gal by the name of Alice Smith recently appeared on Benny Hinn's program. And um, see if you can make heads or tails of this. If God called it as, as a thing of destruction, then we better not have it. May it be a Babylonian garment, may it be a picture, may it be a ring, may it be a a blouse, regardless of what it is. If God calls it cursed, we better not have it. We okay, so uh, Alice here is uh, on Benny Hinn's program making a claim that if God has cursed something, you better not have it, uh, like a, a Babylonian blouse. Any of you women out there who have Babylonian blouses, uh, you better not have one. That's that's cursed. Okay, um, let's find out where else she goes with this. We said, well, what's wrong with the blouse? What's wrong with the ring? If there is an unholy soul alliance with that, and we talk about that, about the, what that is is a, like a spiritual umbilical cord. Okay, so if you have an unholy soul alliance with a Babylonian uh, blouse, let's say that ten times fast, Babylonian blouse. Uh, if you have an unholy soul alliance with a Babylonian blouse, it's just like a spiritual umbilical cord. Okay, I'm hearing words here, but uh, yeah, none of this is making any biblical sense. Can you show me any passages there, Alice, that uh, tell us about um, spiritual umbilical cords? Um, and and uh, I'm kind of hoping that the, the folks there at Benny Hinn Ministries uh, sell, you know, maybe a spiritual umbilical cord, you know, cutter. You know, it could be maybe maybe you can get them at Lowe's. You know, go into the gardening department and grab yourself uh, some pruning shears or you know, hedge clippers, you know, those big chompy things. And, and so you can start chopping in the air, you know, cut those spiritual umbilical cords. Whick, whick, whick. Yeah, okay, right, let's continue. That is attached in an illicit relationship or where there was some uh, spirit that was behind that that relationship. Well, here you've got a ring from that relationship or you've got a blouse from that relationship or you've got a picture and you can't get freed from the sickness in your life. You can't get freed. You can't sleep at night. You can't eat. You cannot function mentally. You're tormented. It could be that that spiritual umbilical cord has come down into your lap as a result of that unholy alliance. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah, Alice, um, you got any Bible verses that say anything remotely close to this? I, I'm, you know, I, I, it sounds so spiritual. I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, the last thing you need is an unholy alliance with a Babylonian blouse that has somehow wrapped its spiritual umbilical cord around your neck and start, you know, like cutting off your oxygen so you can't breathe spiritually. I mean, could you imagine the spiritual disaster that would ensue without it, with, with these improper spiritual umbilical cords just ruining your life? <clears throat> yeah. This uh, subject needs to be embraced even by those that do not claim to be Christians. Uh, so, yeah, you better start going out there and tell, warning all those non-Christians out there of those spiritual umbilical cords. Because this could be the very key for their breakthrough 
by addressing these issues in their own lives. And they have yeah, to forget about telling them about Jesus, you know, repentance, the forgiveness of sins in Jesus name. You know, Jesus has shed blood on the cross. You know, forget about that. You got to tell them the more important stuff. I mean, <laughs> let them know about spiritual umbilical cords. Oh, man, they're wayward. They have problems in their home. They're uh, they have strange smells in their house. They have. So if you have a strange smell in your house, you may have, um, you know, maybe a spiritual umbilical cord that, you know, has wrapped itself around you. It, it p- could potentially actually be like the leftovers of a spiritual afterbirth. Uh, whew, yeah, the mental images there are just, are just freaky scary. But, you know, <laughs> we better get out there and warn our neighbor. I mean, if you've got some freaky smells in your house, I mean, it could be a spiritual umbilical cord has just got its grasp on you. you of, uh, they can't sleep. There's ongoing illness. As a real estate agent, before I was in the ministry, are these the symptoms of of, spiritual pollution? Yeah, spiritual pollution. Yeah, yeah. Talk about spiritual pollution. I uh, that one was off the charts on the spiritual ozone chart. Yeah, I I think in fact the spiritual ozone emissions coming from that particular video um, were are probably outlawed in the state of California. So, (laughs) what do you make of that? Anyway. I mean, it's it's like what I said. I said the other day. It's like the Christian Church has it hasn't fallen to some really sly, slick, slithery deception. You know, some some you know some heresy that's just as you know you know just doing its best to mimic uh, the real Christianity. No, we've fallen to the absurd now. Uh, apparently, you know, but uh, it, it that makes me wonder. I mean, maybe I should offer a, a you know a a product on Marty Python's Flying Church uh, Circus Church, you know, for those of you suffering from uh, Babylonian blouse spiritual umbilical cord syndrome. So, boy, <laughs> I, we're up on our first break. Um, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, uh, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. The next section, not quite so crazy. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. It's... Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. Welcome to Build a God. How can I help you? Hi, I got this Build a God certificate from a fellow co-worker, and I came to check it out. Oh, that's nice of your friend. You must be excited. Well, uh, what exactly are we doing here? Oh, you silly man. We're building your very own deity. I don't feel comfortable doing this. Seems sort of like blasphemy. 
Oh, don't be silly. Everyone does this. Let me help you. First off, you decide whether your god is male, female, or unisex. Well, the Bible talks about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it also says that Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day, so he has to be male. You? Okay. Next, we have to define the attributes of your God, like whether he's loving, kind, or compassionate. Well, in the Bible, God is just, he's merciful, he's righteous, and he's wrathful, all at the same time. Okay, then. Well, what is your God's take on sin? He fully condemns it. It's pretty obvious what God thinks of sin. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Humanity's only hope is in the blood Jesus shed on the cross. Are you saying your God doesn't accept gays? Don't think so. God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah with hellfire and brimstone because of it. I don't think he has a very high opinion of it. Could you excuse me for one moment? Sure. Hello? Can you get me the mall security? Thank you. Sir, I would be a religious terrorist here. Yes! He's a closed-minded Bible believer. Yes, I'll distract him while I wait for your men to arrive. Thank you. Chris Roseborough here to talk about this month's perk for those of you who are members of the Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio crew. Have you ever been to Walt Disney World or Disneyland and taken a VIP tour of one of those parks? Well, if so, then you know just how valuable those tours can be in pointing you to things that you had never even noticed before. Well, this month's resource, Dr. Paul Kretzman's popular commentary on the Gospel of Matthew, is like a VIP walkthrough tour of the Gospel of Matthew itself. It's fascinating, in-depth, written on a lay level, and it'll help you to achieve a much deeper appreciation and understanding of this vital, vital biblical book. Now, if you would like to get a copy of this, this is only available for our crew members. So the way you join our crew is visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. Click on the one that says Join Our Crew. You're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And once you fill that out, we will send you an email giving you instructions on how to download this wonderful book. So head on over to fightingforthefaith.com, join our crew today, and thank you for your support. back warning beware of people in the church selling you spiritual umbilical cord separation tools yeah and that's just a scam 
Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And thank you, thank you, thank you for your support, especially during the lean summer months. All right, moving along here. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, man. Okay, uh, which one do I want to do here? i got to make a decision. All right, from the Christian Post, the new Bible to go on public release changes Jesus from son of man to the human one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This was written by Nicola Menzi, a Christian Post contributor there. And, and uh, we're, if, you've, uh, if you uh, read the Christian Post, they seem to have tried to broaden their news a little bit to cover a little bit more of of the spectrum rather than just religion, which I think is kind of odd. Um, anyway, um, uh, Nicola writes, the new edition of the Common English Translation, that's the CET. I I don't own a copy of the CET. Never even heard of the CET. I didn't, I, yeah, does it, do any, are any of you like big fans of the CET, the previous edition of the CET? Anyway, anyway, the new edition of the CET will be released in print and made available to the public for the first time on August 1st, uh, publicist Audra Jennings has told the Christian Post. The publisher of the new version is hoping it will make the Bible understandable and attractive to as many people as possible. <clears throat> um, Audra Jennings, uh, publicist for the CET, um, I just got a quick question for you. Um, as somebody who's well, been in the Christian church for, well, decades now, uh, most of fact, most of my childhood, most of my adult life, um, yeah, um, yeah, I've seen people try to sell Bibles using this line before. Um, yeah, uh, um, what is it that makes it so more understandable than you know, like the NIV or the ESV? Which, by the way, the ESV is just a fantastic. Fantastic translation. Uh, from time to time, I get emails. In fact, I recently got an email from somebody saying, you know, I'm looking at considering getting a study Bible. Which one should I get? Okay, I know this is going to sound crazy, especially if you're not a Lutheran. Get the brand new. Uh, it's not brand new. It's been out for a year or so now. But the, uh, the, 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 the study Bible published by Concordia Publishing House called the Lutheran Study Bible. Holy smokes. There, I have never seen a study Bible this good. And the ESV study Bible that came out prior to the Lutheran study Bible, that thing was, that thing's amazing too. But uh, I actually, I prefer the Lutheran study Bible. I think it, it actually does a better job in the, in the notes of really capturing, uh, you know, the good biblical hermeneutics, law and gospel, sin and grace, repentance, forgiveness of sins, and how that all plays out. And the thing I like about it, it has... Just juicy quotes from church fathers that uh, that apply to uh, to many of the biblical passages. I, hang on a second, I'm digressing. Um, as I've been continuing uh, reading uh, uh, Schmid's uh, doctrinal theology of the Evangelical Lutheran Church, uh, you know, a 19th century uh, uh, Christian uh, uh, dogmatics text, and it's just fascinating. 
Uh, and the thing that's wonderful about what Schmidt has done there is, is that you see very little Schmidt and you see a lot of classic uh, uh, classic uh, Orthodox uh, Lutheran theologians in there in their quotes on these things. Uh, but uh, a fantastic quote in there from Martin Chemnitz, who was uh, just, uh, 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 in uh, Lutheran history. Martin Chemnitz is our theologian who who understood patristics the best. I mean, I don't know anybody who understood the the ancient church better than Chemnitz and who can quote it, you know, encyclopedia, you know, with an encyclopedic like memory. Anyway, um, uh, Martin Chemnitz made a good point in the, his examination of the Council of Trent that was quoted in Schmidt's doctrinal theology. All of that just to share with you how this all goes, but um, that uh, talking about uh, different types of tradition that are in the church. I mean, when we think of tradition, generally it's it, that's a bad term, and because uh, it, it's synonymous with man-made teaching. And uh, that's kind of you know, the, the reality is is that there's different types of tradition that have come down to us. And um, one of the traditions that uh, it, that uh, Martin Chemnitz really speaks fondly of is an exegetical tradition, and he talks about the fact that um, that you know one of the things that we should be embracing is looking at historically how has the church handled particular passages of scripture, and uh, and so you know, looking at the exegetical tradition. And so when you when you look at this, like for instance, if you were to go and uh, get a copy of uh, you know the, the Church Fathers, uh, you know Philip Schaff's uh, works. You know get you know the multi-volume set. Uh, there's uh, several volumes dedicated to the sermons of John Chrysostom. Um, I think he's fifth century, if I'm not mistaken. But um, uh, you know, you look at how he handles the Book of Romans, and uh, you know, just for instance, they, they just. Fabulous sermons, absolutely fabulous. And when you look at how the church in its past has handled particular texts, especially if you can go farther and farther and farther back, you know, uh, to where you don't have, uh, you know, uh, you know, Roman Catholicism, but, you know, the ancient church, uh, I think it's there's a treasure trove that really should be plumbed. Uh, and and brought forward, you know, looking at the exegetical tradition of how the church fathers, how the church has handled the Bible. Because if you are familiar with any of that stuff, if you if you've read the sermons of Chrysostom or Augustine or others, then you, you you'll find that uh, what they preach on and how they handle these texts far different, far different than the nonsense we're getting uh, from. Um, a lot of these seeker-driven pastors, and and so I mean that's something that's that's a fantastic resource for us. But anyway, I digress. Sorry, I you know I'm from time to time some I read an article and it gets me thinking about something I've been reading about, and I just have to share it. Anyway, uh, so the publicist said, like, coming back to our story here, the publisher of the new version is hoping it will make the Bible understandable. Yeah, because because you know, we have nothing but a whole bunch of completely. Uh, obscure, obtuse, hard to understand Bibles in the market today. We don't have any that make any sense. No one's ever tried to make the Bible understandable in their translations. Oh, brother. Anyway, <laughs> to that end, the new edition of the CET has made several, quote, bold translation choices. Really bold translation choices, including changing Jesus, the Son of Man title, to the human one. That's not a translation choice. Um, no. Um, yeah. Um, yeah <laughs> the weos to anthropos, uh, the son of man. You, you you can't translate that to the human one. 
Yeah, that's not a good translation. That's, in fact, that's a really rotten translation. You can't get that from the Greek text and bring it into English. Anyway, that's that's actually not a translation. That's a theological insertion. <clears throat> and we continue. So with the complete edition of the Common English Translation arriving from the printers this week and rolling into stores starting next month, associate publisher Paul Franklin said the goal of translators of the translators was to make the Bible accessible and more appealing uh, to readers of various backgrounds and denominations. Hmm. Um, how would you do that? I mean, the, the biblical text is what the biblical text is, and either your translation conforms to the biblical text or it doesn't. And uh, if you're going to translate Jesus when the, he uses the title Son of Man to um, to uh, the the human one, um, yeah, you're not at that point in conformity to God's word. God's word is a standard. It's a rule. It's a canon. And your translation, the number one goal of translation is fidelity to the biblical text. And um, and so th that requ may require you to do some gymnastics on the English side of it. But on the Greek side of it, no, you, you, if you understand Greek, you can read the, you can understand the Bible clearly. The ideas in your translation to take those ideas that are in the Greek that are hard to translate into English and make them there and put them there. That's the goal. That's the, it's fidelity to the biblical text. Anyway, on their website, the publishers compare the common English translation to the new international version and the new revised standard version. For their bold new edition, the publishers say they gathered over 100 biblical scholars from across two dozen denominations and from various ethnic backgrounds. Okay, um, can I point something else out here? Um, okay. Either you're a biblical scholar or you're not, and your skin color has n n absolutely no bearing on it, period. I mean, I don't care if a, if, a, if a guy's a biblical scholar and he's Japanese, if a guy's a biblical scholar and he's from South Africa and, uh, you know, and has dark skin, or if, if, if he's a biblical scholar and he's, you know, comes from a Hispanic background, skin color has no bearing on your ability to, um, uh, to properly handle the biblical text. It's not one... <sighs> this just sounds like liberalism. This is what this smells like. Yeah. Yep, that's liberalism, all right. Yeah, I, I just had to make sure. Yep. It's, maybe it's because they have one of those, um, uh, you know, they, maybe they have a Babylonian blouse that they have a spiritual umbilical cord to that they don't even know about. Anyway. <sighs> anyway, so uh, let's see here. Various ethnic backgrounds to translate the Bible from the original Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek text into plain English. The publishers also field tested the new edition among 500 readers from more than six dozen groups well see well that proves that it's okay because it meets with the approval of people hmm some other changes in the common english translation include swapping out alien for foreigner okay used by some translations for passages like leviticus 19 33 through 34 the common english translation applies the term immigrant instead yeah immigrant okay it, it, which uh, that's kind of a so-so translation but okay sure the translation is also gender inclusive um yeah uh, did i mention the fact that the goal is fidelity to the biblical text uh yeah yeah uh, anyway as the passage in Matthew 5, 21, 22, involving Jesus' teaching on the true meaning of murder shows, in the common English translation, Jesus warns, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with 
their brother or sister will be in danger of judgment. That's odd because the biblical text doesn't say sister. Oh, you inserted stuff in there to be politically correct and gender inclusive. Uh, in other words, uh, you may want to avoid the CET. I, I don't trust this translation now. It seems like it's a uh, the people on the translation committee had a theological agenda other than the agenda laid out in Scripture. Anyway, another translation change involves the Lord's Prayer, which avoids King James Version's Hallowed Be Thy Name and includes Uphold the Holiness of Your n- Name. Um, yeah, Uphold the Holiness of Your Name is not a good translation at all all um yeah very bad actually um very unique aspect of the common english translation also involves its use of contractions as readers of other english bible versions are more likely to find it is instead of it's in the text you know i I don't have a problem with contractions when i sometimes when i'm translating a text uh i'll put in contractions and just but you know i'm not publishing my translations but i mean okay sure so the new translation was produced by five denominational publishing houses how much do you want to bet this like the ucc the elca i haven't looked but i just yeah that yeah that's that's liberalism again maybe one of those spiritual umbilical cord things is going on and 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 cost about three dollars and fifty uh, uh sorry about <clears throat> boy talk about missing a decimal point here and it was produced by five denominational publishing houses and cost about 3.5 million in four years to complete the common english translation was released in digital format late last year and made available on bible websites but this is the first time that the the new common english translation will be available for sale in print publishers so far uh, only made it available in paperback so now this is kind of an interesting side note here <clears throat> in may fuller theological seminary voted to add the common english trans uh, english bible to the NRSV and the TNIV as translations that could be required for students doing biblical studies. Uh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, the Fuller Theological Seminary has become a liberal cesspool, and so it makes sense that they would want the CET required by their um, students. Anyway, all right, so there you go. Um, new Bible translation turns Jesus into the human one. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's a translation you want to avoid because their per- their their goal isn't fidelity to the to the original text. Anyway, all right, moving along here. Um, from uh, next up, uh, the story I wanted to get to yesterday but didn't. Um, th- this is a uh, this is a testimonial, if you would. And notice it's not being preached in church, but um, I think this is worth passing along. The name of the article is How Skepticism Masquerading as Christianity Almost Cost Me My Soul by Phil Johnson of the Pyromaniacs blog. Here's what it says. I came to Christ after being steeped for several years in the rankest brand of liberal Methodism. In the church I attended as an adolescent, the pastor and nearly all of my Sunday school teachers treated the Bible as a collection of legends concocted by fallible human authors. They taught me that the Bible is scientifically and historically unreliable. But, they said, it contains moral principles that are good and helpful. Moreover, they said, it is great literature. (laughs) See, isn't that just a high view of the Bible? Yeah, it's good. Yeah, we continue. They clearly did not believe the Bible is true or trustworthy. In fact, they were convinced the Bible could be dangerous if you took it at face value without demythologizing it. In effect, they denied that the Bible was either reliable or authoritative, and yet they claimed to hold it in high esteem. 
Once, while I was in high school, I pressed one of my Sunday school teachers with questions when she said that the stories about Jesus' miracles were merely fables with moral lessons. And don't, don't tell that he got literally Jesus didn't really come in, didn't, didn't really do any miracles because miracles aren't possible. No, 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 no. <clears throat> Sorry, I just inserted that. So they're not to be taken as literal truth. I, so I asked how she could be sure of that when she seemed skeptical of what the Bible actually said about itself. I penultimately suggested that if all the tales in and about Jesus were fictional, perhaps we were wasting our time talking about them in Sunday school. I wondered out loud whether it might be a better use of my time to stay home and watch the NFL pregame shows on TV. Yeah, in fact, those of you who are uh, locked up in a in a liberal church and uh, this is their view of the Bible— um, you have a greater chance of going to heaven watching the NFL pregame shows than you do of actually attending one of those churches. Just want to let you know. <clears throat> so the pastor summoned me to his office, and he cautioned me that it sounded like I was flirting with fundamentalism. Hmm. I'd never heard that word before, but I could tell by the way he said it that it wasn't a good thing. He spent about an hour explaining to me why the Bible is important, even though it isn't true. Yet he flatly denied that there is anything supernatural about the Bible. Its stories aren't to be, are not to be believed, and its teachings are not to be applied without carefully sifting the good principles it teaches from the supernatural nonsense. He said things to me I knew he could never admit in a sermon, and by the time he had finished, he had persuaded me that the Bible was not to be taken seriously. I was never able to take the pastor's preaching seriously again either. Now, about that was about 1967 or 1968. By 1970, I had quit going to church altogether. Smart move. I did, in fact, spend my Sunday mornings watching television. Even smarter move. I would have become convinced and devoted pagan if God had not reached out and sovereignly drawn me to Christ. Right on. There was a meaninglessness to my life that I could not endure. I tried getting involved in politics and music and other things to feed my mind and to keep me interested in life. I figured that whatever the truth was about God, he would accept me if I strove to be wise and strove to be good. But my heart was empty. Then one night, almost on a whim, I picked up my Bible and began reading it. It was the first time I ever remember seriously reading more than a verse or two of scripture to see what the Bible taught. And on that night, the Lord opened my eyes to the truth of Christ. Notice how God opened Bill Johnson's eyes. It was through the word of God. Folks, I got to pause here for a second. We're going to be reviewing another movie sermon today. And I've got to say this just flat out. Movies do not have the power of the Holy Spirit behind them. God has not promised the power of the Holy Spirit in a movie. He has promised that his word is sharper than any double-edged sword, able to cut between bone and marrow and really get in there and mess us up, okay? And and I mean that in a good way because God's word, his law, kills us in our self-righteousness and brings us to our knees and shows us that we are wretched sinners, that we stand no chance to stand in the presence of a holy and just God based upon our own righteousness because we are steeped in sin. And if you don't like that, tough. 
If you are not a sinner, Jesus has nothing for you, absolutely nothing. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He came to redeem and purchase sinners by his blood on the cross. Okay, And so here in Phil Johnson's life story, if you would, you know his testimony, the thing that brought him to Christ was the Word of God. It wasn't television. It wasn't listening to a radio program you know, or you know, rock music or anything of the sort or politics or anything of the sort. He opened up the Bible and God, the Holy Spirit, opened his eyes, brought him to his knees in repentance. The power is in the word. All of these pastors who are out there preaching nonsense and distracted away from what they should be doing, preaching the word, they their preaching is powerless. Anyway, we continue. So he says, That night the Lord opened my eyes to the truth of Christ. I set out to read the entire book of First Corinthians, and the early chapters just totally crushed all the confidence I had in my own wisdom and left me utterly without hope. I felt like uh, Corinthians 3, at 18 and 19, was a hard gut punch. It says, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of the world is folly with God. By the time I got to the end of chapter 3, I understood that I was utterly without hope before God. But I kept reading, and when I got to chapter 12, I read this in verse 3. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. I don't think I had a clue what that meant in the context of 1 Corinthians. I could not have given you even an elementary explanation of the problems Paul was dealing with in the Corinthian church, but I somehow knew from that verse that Jesus is Lord. He demands surrender to him as Lord, and no one can truly own him as Lord without the Holy Spirit's work in that person's life. I embraced Christ as Lord and Savior then and there. And by the way, if he was able to do that, he was made able to do that by the working of the Holy Spirit because no one dead in trespasses and sins can do such a thing. The very next day, a friend called me unexpectedly and invited me to an evangelistic meeting. He had no clue that I had been wrestling with spiritual questions, but he went to a fundamentalist church where the pastor had more or less made it a requirement for everyone in the church to invite at least one person to attend this gospel crusade. I knew this guy only as an acquaintance, so I was surprised by the call. I think he expected it to cost him a friendship, and he figured I was the most expendable friend he had. Well, I took it as a divine, as divine providence, and I eagerly accepted the invitation. On the evening I attended, the preacher was preaching on the crucifixion, and he started with Isaiah chapter 53. He also quoted a lot from Psalm 22. I didn't know very much about the Bible, but I knew enough to understand that Isaiah was an Old Testament prophet whose writings predated Christ by centuries, and the Psalms were older yet. In all of my years in that liberal denomination, I cannot recall ever hearing that Isaiah or the Psalms prophesied the death of Christ. I didn't, however, know enough to bring a Bible to a meeting like that. So when I noticed the guy who invited me was not paying close attention, I reached over and took the Bible off of his lap and I began checking to verify that these verses giving so much explicit detail about the crucifixion were really in the Old Testament. When I saw it for myself, 
any doubt I had ever entertained about whether the Bible is to be taken seriously, all the liberal skepticism I had been force-fed by unbelieving Sunday school teachers vanished instantly and forever. Now, I want to read this sentence again. All the liberal skepticism I had been force-fed by unbelieving Sunday school teachers. Unbelieving Sunday school teachers. Folks, liberals are skeptics. They are doubters. They are not believers. And what we hear from guys like McLaren, Jones, Paget, and other liberals isn't Christianity. It, it isn't faith. It is unbelief masquerading as Christianity. And Phil Johnson's words here are spot on. All the liberal skepticism I had been force-fed by unbelieving Sunday school teachers vanished instantly and forever. The sermon was a pretty good one, too, explaining how Christ's death on the cross made atonement for sins by satisfying the penalty God demands. From that night to this day, I have never entertained one moment's doubt or uncertainty about the power and authority of God's word. The whole course of my life was radically changed by the word of God alone. And there is only one explanation for it, because the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Fantastic, fantastic, amen and amen. He's right. Why do I do the sermon reviews that I do here at Fighting for the Faith, chronicling all the train wrecks of sermons that are going on in Christian churches? Because these are not church; these are not sermons that lead people to belief and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. These are sermons by people who more or less are unbelievers, who truly do not believe the power of God, and truly do not believe that God's Word is powerful, living, and active. If they believed that and they understood that that's where the power is, they would actually be preaching the word. But because they don't, they divulge the secret. And the secret is is that really they have unbelieving hearts that doubt God's word. Because no Christian pastor who truly believes the Bible is the word of God would fail to preach it on a Sunday morning or substitute it with other such nonsense, because there's no power in movies, there's no power in pop culture, there's no power in politics. The power is in the Word of God, because not because those words are so powerful, but because they come from God Himself. Their origin is God Himself, and the words that God speaks do not return to Him void, but they accomplish the purposes for which He sent them. And the Bible is sent to us from God to show us what our problem is and to point us to the solution that God has won for us by himself, not with our help, by himself on the cross for our sins. The tragedy in the church today is we got all of these silly, absurd things being said and done in the name of evangelism. and. That's there's no power there. There's no power there. The power is in the word of God. 
You want to see people brought to repentance and the forgiveness of their sins? Preach the word. Law and gospel, sin and grace, repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Tell the story. Open the book. Exegete the passages and do it copiously. Do it in huge heaping amounts. Because that's how God promises to bring pagans to him and draw them to himself. What it says. All right, we are up on our second break. If you would like to uh, email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We will be right back. When he asked Peter, who do you say that I am? Jesus wasn't looking for affirmation. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. Enough of your sissy, pansy, cunning, photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Chris Roseborough here to talk about this month's perk for those of you who are members of the Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio crew. Have you ever been to Walt Disney World or Disneyland and taken a VIP tour of one of those parks? Well, if so, then you know just how valuable those tours can be in pointing you to things that you had never even noticed before. Well, this month's resource, Dr. Paul Kretzman's popular commentary on the Gospel of Matthew, is like a VIP walkthrough tour of the Gospel of Matthew itself. It's fascinating, in-depth, written on a lay level, and it'll help you to achieve a much deeper appreciation and understanding of this vital, vital biblical book. Now, if you would like to get a copy of this, this is only available for our crew members. So the way you join our crew is visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. Click on the one that says join our crew. You're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And once you fill that out, we will send you an email giving you instructions on how to download this wonderful book. So head on over to fightingforthefaith.com, join our crew today, and thank you for your support. Okay, we're back. Sermon review time. Ah, it's summertime. Time for more movie sermons. You like westerns? <laughs> Well, we got a relevant sermon for you. Yes, sir, Bob. 
Uh, the good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We are an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Crosspoint Church. Now, they're located in Alabama. I'll get the city here in a little bit. I'm, I'm actually having a hard time pulling up their website because I keep pulling up their Vimeo account. Hang on a second here. Now I'm frustrated. I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. Here it is. Here it is. Here it is. Uh, no, that's not it. Man. All right, there's a lot of cross points in Alabama. I'll get, I'll get the, like I said, I'll get the city in a moment. Now, I'm not going to tell you who's preaching it because it's not the uh, normal pastor. Uh, the uh, normal pastor, you can find his, um, his name is Dave Anderson. I've met Dave. I've talked with Dave a couple of times. Dave Anderson's, uh, can be fa- his blog can be found at moviepastor.com, moviepastor.com. And, uh, but he's not preaching this sermon. So, in uh, the name of the sermon, by the way, is uh, "At the Movies, True Grit." Yeah, at the movie, it's True Grit. So, um, I, I think. Oh, here it is, Decatur, Alabama. Found. Ah, <laughs> it's looking me right in the face. I mean, it's right there. I usually have this stuff right at you know. Anyway, all right. That's right. Today I'm engaging in ugly behavior myself. I'm losing my mind. Anyway, so without any further ado, here is at the movies, and this is um, it's a sermon based upon the 2010 western entitled True Grit. Here we go. Mr. Godbard? Yeah, you'll notice that it starts off with a movie clip. I'd like to talk to you a minute. What is it? They tell me you're a man with true grit. What do you want, girl? Speak up at supper time. Let me do this. Your makings are too dry. I'm looking for the man who shot and killed my father, Frank Ross, in front of the Monarch boarding house. The man's name is Tom Cheney. They say he's over in Indian Territory, and I need somebody to go after him. What's your name, girl? My name is Maddie Ross. We'll take that $50 in advance and be... for expenses. You were trying to take advantage of me. I'm giving you the children's raid. I'm not a sharper. There's no man sleeping in the rope bed in the room behind a Chinese grocery. I have nothing. You want to be kept in whiskey. I don't need to buy that. I confiscated. I'm an officer of the court. Oh, thank you. Hundred dollars, that's the rate. No, I shall not, Nigo. Can we depart this afternoon? We? You are not going. That is no part of it. Well, you have misjudged me if you think I'm silly enough to give you $50 and watch you simply write off. I'm a bonded U.S. Marshal. That weighs but little with me. I will see the thing done. Can't go after Ned Pepper and band of hard men look after a baby at the same time. I am not a baby. Won't be stopping at boarding houses where there's warm beds and hot grub on the table. I'll be traveling fast, eating light. A little sleeping is done to take place on the ground. Well, I have slept out at night before. Papa took me a little Frank Coon hunting last summer on the Petty Jean. 
We were in the woods all night. We sat around a big fire and yarn all told ghost stories. We had a good time. Cool hunting. This ain't no coon hunt. It is the same idea as a coon hunt. Don't come on in 40 miles, baby. You were just trying to make your work sound harder than it is. Here's the money. Now, I am to get Tom Cheney, and if you are not game, I will find somebody who is game. All I've heard out of you so far is talk. I know you can drink whiskey and snore and spit and wallow in filth and be moan your station. The rest has been braggadocio. They told me you had grit, and that is why I came to you. I'm not paying for talk. I can get all the talk I need and more at the Monarch boarding house. Labor money. Meet me here at 7 o'clock tomorrow morning. We'll begin our coon hunt. Dearest mother, I'm about to embark on a great adventure. I have learned that Tom Cheney has fled into the wild and I shall assist the authorities in pursuit. You know that Papa would want me to be firm in the right, as he always was. So do not fear on my account. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. The author of all things watches over me and I have a fine horse. Kiss little Frankie for me and pinch Violet's cheek. Your papa's death will soon be avenged. I'm off for the Choctaw Nation. Well, at least the, uh, you know, the, the movie clip had, you know, some re- Bible references in it, you know, from, you know, like Psalm 23. And... So that is the opening to this sermon. Well, happy Father's Day. We're glad all you awesome dads chose to spend your Father's Day here with us at Cross Point. Uh, yeah, you'll uh, notice there that um, that's not a guy uh, preaching. Um, this is a girl preaching. Hmm. Yeah, I'm Becky Alexander. I'm the executive pastor here. And today we're going to take a look at the movie True Grit. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, now I just want to point something out here. Um, as far as I'm concerned, we're at two strikes. Yeah, the, you know, the old three strikes rule you know, from baseball. We're up to two strikes right now. Two full-blown strikes. And you're going, what are you talking about? Um, yeah, here, here, strike one. Um, we're not preaching on the Bible. We're preaching on a movie. Strike two. We are in f- flat-out rebellion to the clear teaching of the Word of God. So uh, basically, if these two strikes, basically, these are two red flags um, that basically tell me that God's word is really not taken too seriously there at Crosspoint. Uh, otherwise, you'd be preaching from a biblical text, and you wouldn't be rebelling against the clear teachings of the word of God. And you're going, uh, well, what are you talking about, Chris? If you have your Bible, flip on over to First uh, Timothy chapter 2. First Timothy Chapter 2. All right, starting at verse 8, we'll get some context. I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectful apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls, costly attire, but what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. 
Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain silent. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will, she shall be saved through childbirth. They, they continue in the faith and love and holiness with self-control. Yeah, uh, the Bible clearly, clearly, unambiguously uh, forbids uh, a woman to speak in church in authority over a man. There's a cross-reference to this passage, by the way. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 34, the woman should, women should keep silent in churches. They are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. So we've got a problem here. We've got a big problem. And that is, is that one of the things that is occurring in seeker-driven churches and Crosspoint Community Church and Dave Anderson, the movie pastor, uh, is you know kind of a mover and shaker in that in that circle. So he's not a big fish, but he's kind of a medium-sized fish in the seeker-driven churches. Um, Crosspoint Community Church here is flat out despising God's word, and there is no other way to look at it. They are rebelling against the clear teaching of the word of God, and they're despising God's word by preaching about movies rather than preaching the word of God. Now I know you think of that man. That's just kind of harsh, Chris. Yeah, it is. But um, you, can you give me a, a good um, explanation or reason why I should be listening to a sermon from Becky Alexander? We continue. In this movie, it's not such a happy Father's Day for 14-year-old Maddie Ross. You see this hired hand named Tom Chaney got drunk in town, came home, shot her dad for no apparent reason, and then stole, her, stole his horse and his two California gold pieces, and he rode off into the sunset. Nobody was even chasing him. So this spunky girl, Maddie Ross, decides she's going to hire a deputy U.S. marshal and track him down. So she starts asking around town, who would be the best marshal? for me to hire. She gets several recommendations, and not even the first place one is the one she decides she wants to use. She zeroes in on this one named Rooster Cogburn because when he was described, he was described as having true grit. And she figured that's what was needed in order to find her dad's killer. I looked true grit up online, on the online dictionary, listen to some of the descriptions that go along with that word. Diligence, stubbornness, backbone, courage, determination, resolve, nerve. Yeah, I just want to point something out. You will not find the phrase true grit in a Koine Greek lexicon uh, when you're translating from the biblical Greek into English. Just want to make that clear. Throughout the movie... You're going to see that Rooster Cogburn has true grit, but he's not the only one. That little girl, Maddie, she has true grit, too. Rooster did not want... So, so does Jesus have true grit? Should I, so is, is that the reason why I need to do... Because Jesus, 
is an example of true grittiness and I need to be and see Maddie was like Jesus just like that other guy no I don't think so to help Maddie he just had a problem with alcohol and he wanted to lay around but Maddie pursued him at one point in the movie she finds him in an outhouse and has a big conversation with him and he assures her this is going to be a while before he can complete the conversation with her Another time she goes into his bedroom where he's sleeping. We saw that on the bumper video. Finally, Rooster agreed to help her track down her dad's killer for $50. The deal was she was going to get to go with him, but he snuck off and left her. You think that stopped Maddie? Uh Uh-uh. She chased after him, even rode her horse across a river to try to catch up to him. You see, Maddie pursued Rooster Cogburn. There are a lot of scriptures and a lot of Bible stories that tell us how God pursues people. Okay, um, yeah, uh, is this a direct one-to-one correlation? Uh, yeah, I know you're sitting there going, huh? Yeah, see, she's going to now try to make the claim that, see, uh, this shows us the biblical principle about how God pursues us. Well, if I were to take the metaphor, you know, as a at a one-to-one correlation, Maddie is seeking justice. She's hired a U.S. marshal to track down her dad's killer, and so um, if if this is how God is pursuing me, then I have to assume that God's pursuing me in order to exact justice from me for the sins that I've committed. How is this good news? Because, again, the context for the movie, if you're, you're going to try to draw some spiritual theme here, the context of the movie is seeking after justice, bringing a guy to justice. So is that why God pursues us for justice? There's one in the book of Luke. We'll look at it first. It's called the parable of the lost sheep. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, There will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Okay, now let's just assume you were a guy, um, um, Ms. Alexander, because otherwise I'm just going to keep beating on that dead horse. Uh, It's flat out, you guys are in direct violation of the Word of God. What we're hearing here is, is a sin. It is a flat-out despising of the clear teaching of the Word of God, flat-out. So that's all I'm going to say about it. She's in direct violation of God's Word. We shouldn't be hearing her voice here from Cross Point Church. Shouldn't be hearing it, but we are, so let's not belabor the point. But let me come back to this idea here. Um, The passage that you just read deals with sinners repenting of their sins. Find it ironic that uh, you're sinning while reading a passage about sinners repenting. Weird. It's just weird. Kind of surreal. 
but uh, so Jesus is the guy who goes and seeks out sinners, picks them up, and brings them back to the flock. Okay, there, there's there's some good theological stuff that we can plumb out of this, but I don't, you know, I, Jesus isn't getting sinners for justice's sake, like what's going on in the movie True Grit, because Jesus is offering them mercy and forgiveness. You can almost make the claim that the story True Grit is about revenge. On some level it is, but that's not how Jesus pursues us. He doesn't pursue us for the sake of revenge or or to drag us before his court so that he can exact justice from us. But Jesus pursues us and calls us to repentance for the forgiveness of our sins. So... um, don't you think that the people in this congregation need to be hearing about their sins and need to be hearing about their complete inability to fulfill the law of God? In fact, it's worse. They've they've utterly decimated and destroyed it and stand guilty and condemned before God. But Jesus, our good shepherd, seeks and saves the lost to bring us to repentance and the forgiveness of our sins, and there's rejoicing in heaven when sinners repent and are forgiven. That's the point of that passage. But are you going to make that point? This shepherd had a hundred sheep. He took good care of them. But one day, one of them got lost and wandered off. And that shepherd left the 99 and he pursued the one that was lost. Right after that story in the Bible, there's another story very similar. It's called the parable of the lost coin. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, There is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Wow, a party in heaven. I wonder what that would be like. Maybe it would be like being on 34th Street in New York City on Thanksgiving Day. You know when the Macy's Thanksgiving Day parade passes by? Do do you all love that as much as I do? I have always wanted to be there, and this year... If all goes as planned, I am going to be there. You know, it's like marching bands in those big, huge balloons, famous people, TV cameras, kids cheering and yelling, floats, and at the very end, Santa welcomes in the Christmas season. I don't know if you do this, but I cry when that happens. Isn't that weird? It's real emotional for me. They build up to it, and then here comes Santa in this huge sleigh, and he's yelling, Merry Christmas to all! Welcoming in the season. Wow. I don't know why I do that. I know that's silly. Um, Have you ever, though, tried to picture what heaven might be like? The Bible says we can't even think of it. We can't even imagine it. Well, you should have a talk with Patricia King. She's been there several times. I mean, she drank God's wine in his wine cellar. But the Bible does give us some facts about heaven, and I find them very interesting. I'm going to tell you a few of them right now. First of all, in heaven, there's no tears. So whatever it is that makes you cry right now, not going to have to deal with that in heaven. I don't know about happy tears, like 
when you see Santa Claus. I really think he's the real one. Don't you think? He really looks like him. But the Bible says no tears in heaven. This is a good one. No funerals. We don't like to go to funerals. Funerals are a separation from somebody that we really love. Funerals are also a reminder that someday we're going to die. But in heaven, there will be no funerals because there's no death. That's great. No pain. My husband, Tim, works for Pepsi-Cola. He's worked for Pepsi for years. Spent his whole life lifting Mountain Dew and Diet Mountain Dew. He has pain. His elbows hurt, his knees hurt, his back hurts, his feet hurt. That's going to all be gone. No pain in heaven, the Bible tells us. Then there's this description about heaven, and it tells that there's a wall around heaven, around the city, and it's built on 12 foundations. And every foundation is decorated with a different precious gem. One of those foundations has amethyst on it. That's my birthstone. It mentions other ones like jasper, sapphire, emerald. It's going to be beautiful. Decorated walls in heaven. And the main street, it's not going to be paved with blacktop. You know what it's paved with? Gold. And not just gold like in a wedding ring. But the Bible says it's such pure gold that it's translucent. Uh, great. Um, you want to explain how somebody gets there? I mean, because all of us are dead in trespasses and sins, according to Scripture. The passage you just read talked about sinners repenting. Uh, you care to, you know, I'm not sure what this has to do with the movie True Grit either, but, you know, let's continue. You can see through it. We don't even know what that looks like here. The Bible gives us lots of specifics about heaven, and you'll have to look this one up, but it even tells you how big it is. It tells you how many cubic feet it is. I'm not going to go into that. You'll have to convert that to miles and see how big heaven is. But it does tell us there are 12 gates. There's three on the east, three on the west, three on the north, and three on the south. And every gate is guarded by an angel. The Bible says that the gates are pearls. It doesn't say the gates are made of pearls. It says the gates are pearls. Some of you who have been in church all your life, you've probably heard some of those old songs about heaven. They talk about the pearly gates. That's where they get it. The gates are pearls. When we get there, we can look around and we won't see any cross points. We won't be able to see any churches. The Bible says that God is the temple. It's going to be different than here, but wonderful. No sun, no moon, no need for electricity, no night, daytime all the time. So what's the source of light if it's not the sun, the moon, electricity? The Bible says that Jesus is the source of light in heaven. How neat is that? My favorite description of heaven talks about a river running right through the city, the river of life, and it runs right through the center of the city and it ends at the throne of Jesus. And on both sides of the river, there are the trees of life. 
Now, these aren't just regular trees. It says that they bear fruit, but they're not like the fruit trees we know. You know, the trees we know, like apple trees, they have certain times of the year that they harvest. But the Bible says these trees bear fruit every month. I don't know why I think that's so neat, but I think that's neat. And that's not even the best part. Get this. It says they bear a different fruit every month. If you don't believe me, read it. It's in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. So I could pick my favorite tree, and I could go one month and pick a peach off of that tree. And I could go back to the same tree a month later and pick an orange. And a month later, I might get a pear off that tree. I love that. Be sure and read the description of heaven. I have a few hopes about heaven. These are things that I haven't found scriptural backing for yet. First of all, I hope there's no dust in heaven. I've always said that. You know, dust gets on everything. And you can work really hard and clean like crazy. And a week later, the dust is back on it again. So I hope there's no dust in heaven. I hope there are sections based by season in heaven. I hope there's a summer section and a winter section and a fall section and a spring section. And I'm going to live in the fall section because I love fall. I might go visit spring because it's all right. And I know I'll go visit winter because I love the snow. But I'm not stepping my foot in summer. I don't like the heat. I just don't like the heat at all. Something else I hope about heaven. And I know you're going to agree with me on this one. I hope we can eat whatever we want. As much. Fine. I'm just, we're learning a lot about you and your thoughts, your speculations, and not hearing much about what the Bible really says exegetically. But then again, um, apparently the Bible, what it says, isn't all that important. As we want. And never gain weight. And I hope we don't have to cook it. I hope it's like the buffet on a cruise ship where there's just always food as much as you want and you can just go any time and eat. But like I said, you won't find those things in Revelation 21 and 22. Those are just my hopes. God pursues every one of us because he doesn't want us to miss that. He doesn't want us to miss heaven. Look at this scripture in 2 Peter. So God is saying, oh man, heaven's going to be great. I I don't want him to miss it. I better start pursuing people. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Uh, you, you care to elaborate more on that? You, you, here, you just throw this out on the table. God doesn't want anyone to perish. Whoa, well, wait a minute. There's people perishing? And God wants people to repent? What does it mean to perish? What are you talking about? God pursues us, and he often does it through people. Years ago, I had great friends, Henry and Mary Posey. They were like another set of grandparents to me. I loved them. They always planted a big garden. And when I would go to visit them, they would just load me up with all the fresh vegetables from their garden. Tomatoes, cucumbers, squash, 
Mary would make homemade jelly and give me that. She would call me on the phone and say, do you want your corn on the cob or off the cob? That's love. That's hard work, you know, cutting corn off the cob for somebody. They even helped us plant a garden one year and helped us hoe it and put all the vegetables in the freezer. I'd a whole lot rather go to the farmer's market. That is not my cup of tea. But Mary and all the kids and all the grandkids went to church and were followers of Jesus. But Henry wasn't. He had no interest in it. And over the years, lots of people pursued Henry to talk to him about following Jesus. But he always just rejected and showed no interest at all. Mary asked me to go talk to him one time. She thought maybe that I could get through to him. And I was glad to do that, and I did. I went to talk to Henry. But the same thing, he had no interest. He told me, he said, Becky, it's just like that deer I shot. He was a big hunter. Just like that deer I shot during hunting season. When you die, you cease to exist. So when we pursue people, we are going to be rejected. Just like the woman who lost her coin, though, we can't stop trying. We've got to keep pursuing that person. And just like the shepherd who lost his sheep, we've got to keep trying till we find the sheep. And just like Maddie in the movie True Grit, she kept pursuing. Okay, I've got to point something out here. Uh, Jesus is the one who does the pursuing in both those parables. Uh, yeah. Um. <sighs> Mr. Cogburn, even though he rejected her strongly, watch this. Another movie clip. <laughs> Cogburn does not want me eating out of his store. That is silly. You have not eaten the whole day, and it was my store, not Let him starve! He does not track. He does not shoot. Accepted foodstuffs. That was your initiative. He does not contribute. He's a man who walks in front of bullets. Mr. LeBeef drew single-handed upon the Lucky Ned Pepper Gang while we fired safety from cover. Wait. It is unfair to indict a man when his jaw is swollen and tongue mangled and who is therefore unable to rise to his own defense. I can speak for myself. I am horribly obliged to answer the ravings of a drunkard who has been leased me. I shall make my own camp elsewhere. It is you who have nothing to offer, Cogburn. A sad picture indeed. This is no longer a manhunt. It is a debauch. The Texas Ranger presses on, alone. Take the girl. I bow out. A fine thing to decide once you brought her into the middle of the Choctaw Nation. I bow out. I wash my hands. Gentlemen, we cannot fall out in this fashion. Not so close to our goal with Tom Cheney nearly in hand. In hand? If he is not in a shallow grave somewhere between here and Fort Smith, he is gone. Long gone. Thanks to Mr. LaBeef, we missed our shot. We barked and the birds have flown. Gone, gone, gone. Lucky Ned and his cohort gone. Your $50 gone. Gone the whiskey. Seized in evidence. Trail is cold if there ever was one. 
I'm, I'm a foolish old man who's been drawn into a wild goose chase by a harpy in trousers and a nincompoop. Uh, Mr. LaBeef, he can wander the Choctaw Nation for as long as he likes. Perhaps the local engines will take him in and honor his gibberings by making him chief. You, sister, let go where you like. Our engagement is terminated. Bye-bye. He's a little hard to understand, isn't he? Because he's drunk the whole movie. <clears throat> well, maybe, maybe you've given up on somebody. You know, maybe that last thing your spouse did was the last straw for you. Or kids, maybe when your parents signed the divorce papers, you gave up on them. Or parents, maybe you've helped your kids every way you know how, and you got nothing left. But we just can't give up. I prayed for Henry's heart to be able to believe for years. And so did a lot of other people. And then one day, one most amazing day, I got the most amazing phone call from my mom. She said, a friend went to see Henry Posey, and he prayed to follow Jesus. He was 77 years old. God pursued Henry for 77 years. And even though he rejected over and over and over, his family and his friends never gave up on him. Each one of us is here today because somebody pursued us. At our staff retreat of... I just got a question. What did he reject? What exactly was he rejecting? A few weeks ago, Dave asked us... Each Even better question. What did he accept? He, he prayed to follow Jesus. What does that even mean? Each one to tell how we ended up at Cross Point. Carrie, our graphic artist, said that her mom invited her, but that Linda Blanton, an attender at Cross Point, invited her mom. Megan Morale, our pastor's assistant, she said Jason Lack invited her. Jason's on our staff now, but he wasn't then. I said, Megan, well, who invited Jason? She said, Elizabeth. Elizabeth's now Jason's wife, even though I don't think she was at the time. I said, well, Megan, who invited Elizabeth? And she said, Dave and Dana, our pastor and his wife. I'm sure that when Dave and Dana pursued Elizabeth, they had no idea that in the future that would result in two staff members for Crosspoint. You see how it works? So my question to you is, who are you pursuing? You know, if I came out there and asked you, many of you would give me the name of somebody. You might say my mom or my aunt, or you might give me somebody's name, a friend or a relative who has pursued you and made it possible for you to be here today. I grew up in church, so I can't really pinpoint one exact person that pursued me, but I'm here because of the influence of my family. God pursued me through my family. We have all been pursued. God pursues us through people. Now, if you're already a follower of Jesus, let's take that question of who pursued you and let's flip it upside down. And let's ask, who are you pursuing? 
in the Bible, in Matthew chapter 28, it says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's exactly what Crosspoint does. Make passionate disciples. If you've attended one of our Discovering Crosspoint classes, you've heard Dave say it. We're all about making passionate disciples. So who are you pursuing? You know, each one of us has something called a realm of influence. It's the people that we see and live with and work with every day that we that are in our realm of influence. It's the People that we see at the ball field, whose kids are on the same team as ours, that we see over and over and over, the people that we spend eight hours a day with at work, we have this realm of influence. And there might be somebody in your realm of influence that you could reach that nobody else could reach. So we have to be about pursuing people. That's why Mary asked me to talk to Henry. She thought maybe since I loved him so much and he loved me, that I'd be the one. In the movie True Grit, Rooster Cogburn is in Maddie Ross's realm of influence. And she definitely pursued him. And because she didn't give up on him, his life was changed. He actually ended up saving Maddie's life in the end. He went from being an alcoholic with no purpose in life to being a hero. Let's watch. So does uh, going from being an alcoholic to being a hero, is that the equivalent of being saved? Um, I'm not hearing anything that uh, would cause anyone to be brought to repentance and the forgiveness of their sins. I guess apparently it's now time for another movie. Clip. I'm here! Can you clamber out? I cannot. There are snakes. They wait. survive. It does. Even a blow to the head could silence him for only a few short minutes. Where are you, Ben? admit after uh, watching some of these movie trailers here i haven't seen the movie true grit but um yeah it looks like an interesting movie i might want to go want to see it but um um yeah i aside from that that's about the only positive thing i can say about this sermon so far um that really flat out seems to be a total on all sides just a despising of god's word i'll send help for you as soon as i can 
Don't wander off. We are not leaving him. This must get you to a dock, says you're not gonna make it. Ever stalwart. This is the uh, drunk True Grit guy uh, rushing the little girl off uh, to town because she's been bitten by a snake. Just heart-wrenching. I don't see sinners being brought to repentance in the forgiveness of their sins. Or I'm not hearing the cross proclaimed in him, Jesus, and him crucified for our sins either. Yeah. Boy, this this sermon sure is relevant. We must stop. Little Blackie is played out. We have miles yet. Yeah, the horse is about to die. It's just sad. You just want to cry. It's, you know, will she make it? I don't know if she'll make it to town. By the way, this story is not found in the Bible. Yeah, I wonder if this is on Netflix Instant Watch. Yeah, I should look that up. like he made it to town hopefully just in the nick of time she's looks she looks bad you know and it's snowing Uh, that's not a good sign oh thankfully somebody's coming out of that cabin 
Maybe there's hope for her after all. When we pursue someone and they choose Jesus, it changes their lives. Um, what are they choosing him for? What, did, what, did, what does Jesus have to offer them? You care to elaborate? Let me tell you the rest of the story about my friend Henry. Just two years after he became a Christian, he was at the hunting club in Pickens County. He loved to hunt so much that when it wasn't hunting season, he still went there and he did cleanup work. He was going to go on Saturday, and it was Father's Day weekend, and he was going to come back home Saturday night. He didn't come home Saturday night. So his wife Mary got worried, but she thought, well, he's in the middle of some project, and he'll come home in the morning because he'll be here in time for church. He never missed church, she said, once he became a Christian. Morning came, time for church came, and Henry wasn't home. Mary was really starting to get worried. But she knew he would be in in time for Father's Day dinner. All the kids and all the grandkids were coming in. So she figured he just got tied up and that he was going to come rolling in in time for dinner. She went on to church, came home from church. It was time for dinner and no Henry. They knew something was wrong. They called the police. The family got in their vehicles and headed to Pickens County and started searching for Henry. They searched all day on Father's Day. They couldn't find him. The search went on into Monday. And on Monday, at some point, some of the family members went deep into the woods on four-wheelers, and they spotted him. He was sitting by a log with his chainsaw next to him, and he was dead. He'd had a heart attack. Later that week, I sang in Henry's funeral. What if Henry's family and friends had given up on him? What if people hadn't diligently and tirelessly pursued him? Some of you need to determine today that you're going to pursue somebody. You've probably already got somebody's name in your mind that needs Jesus. I'm going to give you a little method that will make it simple. For what do they need him for? What to, uh, to make their lives better? Is that, is that it? What if their lives are, per, are pretty okay? Do they need Jesus for that? For you to do that. We'll help you do that and help you remember how to do that. We'll call it the three P's. The first P is pick a person. Now, this isn't like pick a person, like make them... Now, I just want to make something clear. I am not down on evangelism. In fact, I'm a, a strong advocate of it. Why? Because the Bible tells us to share, to go and proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. I'm just not sure what this woman is saying people need Jesus for. I'm, I, I don't understand what a Christ follower is either. Sounds like a confusion of law and gospel to me. Your project. Like, I'm going to put a notch in my rifle like Rooster Cogburn. It's more of a, this person's in my realm of influence, and I really care about them genuinely, and I'm going to try to help them make their life better by finding Jesus. 
And the- uh, um, what about all the people who, uh, after being brought to repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name, who trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins? Notice I keep re-emphasizing that point because that's what the Bible talks about regarding Jesus and people becoming Christians. What about those who were martyred for their Christian faith? Were their lives made better by Jesus? Again, I, I'm not sure what your Jesus has to offer people. Uh, if if your Jesus has to offer people a better life, um, I'm not sure what you mean by that. Because uh, Jesus talks about the fact that his followers, those who are true Christians, will suffer persecution and suffering in this life. Their lives don't necessarily get better. The second P is pray. Now, you're not committing to pray for a few days for this person or even a few months. You're going to make a commitment to pray for this person as long as is necessary. On this stage, under this top coat of black paint, are hundreds of names written of people that Crosspoint committed to pray for. And some of those names are probably sitting here because somebody pursued them. But we need to continue to pray for the names of the people under this black paint on the stage. And then the third step, the third P, is pursue. Actively pursue. Begin to talk to this person. uh, Build a relationship with them. Set an example for them. And I know we're not perfect and we can't be the perfect example, but maybe they'll see something in our life that we have that they'd like to have. And starting. And what if they don't? What if psychologically they have it better than you? What what if, you know, from a point of view of, you know, economics, they're doing better than you are? I mean, uh, you know, you can actually proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name without setting a good example for them. Because the power is in the word of God. The power is in the preaching of the gospel. The power is in the preaching of Christ and him crucified, not in our example. Encouraging them to come to church with you. That's a real simple way. Three Ps. Pick a person, pray, and pursue. I would never encourage anyone to go to a church where they were flat out openly rebelling against God's word like this. Are you ready to get started? If you've got texting capabilities, go ahead and take out your phone right now. I'm going to show you a trick. We are going to text a message to this number, 41411. When you go down into the message part, just type in the word pursue, and you have to spell it right or it won't work. I tried it. P-U-R-S-U-E, and then put the person's name that you're going to work on. When you hit send, it's not going to go to anybody or anywhere. What it's going to do is send you a message back to remind you this week to talk to that person. So 411, type in pursue and the person's name and hit send. If you have AT&T, you don't have service. You need the network like me, Verizon. But you can jot down that number, and you can do it later in the week. In the end, you know, it's the person's choice. Um, They may not choose to follow Jesus, and we don't have any control over that. And really, that's what makes life great anyway, because we're not puppets, and God's not a puppeteer. It's our choice. And all stories aren't going to have a happy ending like Henry's. I have another friend that 
I have pursued for 25 years. My friend has not followed Jesus. My friend may never follow Jesus. But I... Man, we're getting movies and a lot of this lady's life stories and... um... Very, 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 very little Bible. I can never give up on my friend because I care about my friend. And I would encourage you, whoever it is that you're going to pursue, that you'll make a commitment to do that for as long as is necessary. Now, some of you, you aren't a follower of Jesus. Or maybe you were a long time ago and you've been away. Well, you know God's pursuing you. That's why you're here today. Um, yeah, um, really. He loves you. He doesn't want you to miss out on heaven. Oh, oh yeah, that's true love. God doesn't want us to miss out on heaven. I mean, that, that you'd be like you're missing a family vacation to Walt Disney World. Yeah, if you really love somebody, you're not going to let them miss that. And so maybe maybe the Bible talks about love in a more profound way. You know, God, the God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for our sins. Yeah. So I would invite you today to simply pray from your heart to God and say, I choose Jesus. You sappy music. Just pray from your heart today. I choose Jesus for what? Jesus as my dance partner. Jesus as my, uh, you know, gin rummy partner. Jesus as my opponent in chess. What am I? What am I choosing Jesus for exactly? I want to live my life for Him. You don't have to be intimidated by that. I, I want to live my life for Him, but isn't the gospel that He lived His life for us? I want to live my life for him stuff because you may be thinking I mess up too much. I can't live my life for Jesus. Uh, yeah, that's, isn't that the whole point of the forgiveness of sins? Or you may be thinking I've got this habit in my life, so I can't do it. Or I've got this habit in my life and I got to get rid of that before I choose Jesus. Well, that's really not how it works. Really? Why don't you tell me about Jesus' shed blood on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus wants you to come just like you are. And then he'll help you with the things that are messy in your life. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so Je- I mess up. Jesus is going to help me with the things that are messy in my life. The message of the gospel is the forgiveness of our sins. Now, I want to point something out here. The whole point of these movie sermons, the whole point of these mega churches, these seeker-driven, purpose-driven churches, is evangelism. Um, that's the whole point, right? The the, the church time is evangel sermon time is evangelism time. The purpose of church is for the non-believer. So the non-believer is there, and they're not hearing that they need to repent of their sins and be forgiven, and that their forgiveness was won by Jesus' shed blood and his beating and scourging and suffering and dying on the cross for their sins. So the whole point of this church is evangelism, but I'm not hearing anything that even remotely sounds like the gospel. Jesus will take you just the way you are, and then he'll help you clean things up in your life. Uh, no thanks. I Yeah, I, I need a real solution. Every single day. Every single day.
But I know God's there helping me work through those things and get those things out of my life. This isn't the biblical gospel. It's a lifelong process. No, that's good news. Yeah. Sign me up. Takes time. But God loved you enough to pursue you. He will love you enough to help you. uh, Did he do anything else besides pursue me and offer to give me help to clean up my act? If you're ready to make that decision today, that communication card in the seat in front of you, it has a box that says, I asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior. No, you didn't. You asked Jesus to be your helper. You asked Jesus to help you clean up your act. You didn't ask Jesus to be your Savior. Savior implies that you need saving. Saving from what? The wrath of God. That's accomplished through the forgiveness of sins. If you'll mark that box and take it to one of the information kiosks, we're going to get you some help. We're going to get you some information to help you in your new walk. And just know that God will be there with you to help you. Yeah. Uh, What about forgiveness? And then those of you who are followers this week... I pray that you'll pursue that person. Let's pray. Don, I I hope they don't pursue that person because they're not pursuing them with the biblical gospel. This isn't going to help them. In fact, you you pray this prayer, fill out the thing on your card. You're not saved. This creating a false sense of salvation. Salvation from what? A messy life? Yep, sorry. Uh, Isn't the whole purpose of these churches evangelism? Yet this was a complete and utter despising of God's word on so many fronts, it's not even funny. You you make these compromises, and what ends up getting lost eventually? The gospel itself. Shouldn't surprise you. You know, know, I warned uh, Dave Anderson years ago that he was heading down the wrong path, and he wouldn't hear anything of it. I think this is proof positive that you, these churches, you compromise here, you compromise there, you compromise this, you compromise that, and you end up with a completely false gospel because you've capitulated to the culture. I didn't hear the gospel preached by this gal who shouldn't have been preaching in the first place at all. And that is ultimately what is wrong here. God's word has taken a second place. It's been shunted. It's been twisted. It's been manipulated. It's been thrown to the back, it's been watered down, and what gets lost? The clear proclamation from the Bible itself that you are a sinner in need of a Savior and that Jesus Christ bled and died for your sins. That's what gets lost. And that's what got lost in this abomination of a so-called sermon. Need to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. Yeah, we truly do need your help, especially during the busy Summertime months where you know giving seems to disappear a little bit, and not completely, but our bills don't go away, but uh, our giving kind of dries up a little bit. So uh, if you don't already support us, visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on one of the friendly yellow buttons. You know enough uh, from me talking about it, you know, how, to, how that all works. And thank you, thank you, thank you for supporting us during these difficult summer months. Anyway, so what'd you think? I, you know, I'd love to get your feedback. You can email me. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. Amen.